Glad you can join us. This is Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, the Bills' pass game has been very efficient in the first half under O.C. Ken Dorsey, but it hasn't been very explosive. Does it matter? Going for it when you should on fourth down. How are the Bills faring in that area? We share the figures. And Steelers.com insider Bob Labriola fills us in on the beginning of the Kenny Pickett era in Pittsburgh. Bills pass rushers, it's time to eat! Bills by the numbers, Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker, Bills Insider Chris Brown with you, and there is a trend developing with Buffalo's passing game in the first half of their games. As we know, the Bills have the second best passing attack in football right now. They're first in first downs per game and first in third down conversion rate. But as Warren Sharp from Fox Sports points out, an analytics guy, there is a difference this year in Buffalo's passing game. Last year, the Bills led at halftime in each of their first four games and led by an average of 13.2 points at halftime. They proceeded to win three of those games. Their halftime lead in 2020 was 10.3 points per game, and they won all four of those games to start 4-0. This year, however, Buffalo has had the lead at halftime just once through the first four games, Week 2 against Tennessee. Their average lead at halftime, zero. So, Steve... We'll get into why that is happening in a second, but I realize, you know, this isn't the end-all, be-all for winning football games, but a halftime lead has value in this league, does it not? Absolutely. Well, you want to score as many points as you can all throughout the game, but when you're – the Bills coming into these games, I think one thing that we do know as well, teams look at Josh Allen vastly differently than they did in the first month of the 2020 season. Uh and the 2021 season probably as well. They are doing some things against them that are different than they did at times uh, in the in the games that we're talking about. However, no question, Ken Dorsey has a little is is the difference I think here as mm-hmm. much as the defenses are, and also Josh's development as well. I think Josh is more confident in dinking and dunking it a little bit when you've got a two deep safety or a three deep safety set. Just take what they're giving him, and he's confident enough in his ability to throw some darts underneath real quick to get him on the board. Now, as well, you're right. It changes the possession chart as well. Yeah. When you're when you're moving the ball slower, instead of getting whatever four or five possessions in a half or six or seven possessions in a half, now you're only getting four or five, and nobody's scoring a lot of points in those games. So it makes the game look different, but I think it's as much to do with the complementary – facets of the defense they're facing as well as what their offensive scheme is. I know Coach McDermott's record when his team's leading at halftime is outstanding. It's something like 40-8 and eight, uh, or even right. better than that. Any team in any sport would love to have a lead at halftime, but that lead in a game can often prompt your opponent to alter their plan That's from right. what they came into the game with, especially when they're down at halftime. How many times do we hear about halftime adjustments? Most coaches will tell you when you can pull your opponent out of their initial game plan because of the lead that you've got on the scoreboard, that opens up more opportunities to seal the game. So while I don't think it's necessarily a troubling development, I think it will be more visibly detrimental 
when you face a high-scoring team like the Chiefs, or dare I say the Lions, on Thanksgiving, who <laughs> right. lead the league in scoring. Yeah, that it. you're right. Teams that are behind feel like they have to change. You know, it's human nature. You feel like you got to change some things to get better. It's rare that a coach. Now, sometimes these coaching staffs are pretty sharp. They come in with a tent. They're trailing by ten points. And they're going. Listen, we're fine. We just can't turn the ball over, or we can't do this or that. It's it's not about our offensive game plan that's the problem. The defense let up a couple of play, fluky plays. That kind of thing. You have to be able to recognize those quirks in your halftime adjustments. But if you can get a lead and you're playing well offensively in the first half and you're and you're hitting nicking them for big plays or they're ga- you're gashing them in the run game, they're going to go in there and say, hey, listen, we got to do some things. Now, when you're not leading, like the Bills have not been so much this year, they're saying, hey, we're good. And the Bills are making some adjustments at halftime. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. They're doing some things differently at halftime of these games, and it has made a difference. So – it's easy to sit down with the entire squad at halftime and get all of them and communicate, hey, here's what they're doing, here's what we need to do, gets them on the same page. Not so easy on the sideline series to series to series because you tell the lead dogs in your defense or the lead guy in your offense, you talk to the quarterback, you don't get a chance to talk to the offensive lineman. You don't get a chance to talk to the wide receivers. So it's piecemeal, the communication, and the adjustments are just that much more effective when the whole group is sitting in the room at halftime. So... When you can get them to say, hey, we're good at halftime and then try to do it series by series in the second half or even in the first half, it's not as effective. So now on to why this shortcoming is happening. Instead of focusing on explosive plays early in the game, which was a staple of Brian Dable, the Bills are focusing on efficiency. So far, the Bills passing game is putting a premium on shorter, more high-percentage completions on early downs in the first half of games this season. Josh Allen averaging 5.87 yards per attempt through the first four games. In 2021, he averaged 10.32, almost double. Now, the shorter completions this year are making third downs easier to convert because they're putting them in short down and distance. Right now, the Bills are third all-time in series conversion rate in NFL history right now through the first four games. But you're also lengthening the drives before you score. And not only that, Steve, you have more third downs to convert because right. you're, you know, matriculating the ball down the field. Right. Um, as you pointed out, the result of the longer drives means fewer possessions per game, which means fewer opportunities to score more points and build a lead. So through the first four games last year, Steve, the Bills offense had 28 first-half possessions for an average of seven per game. This year, through the first four games, Buffalo's offense has had 20 first-half possessions. That's an average of five per game, two fewer possessions per game. How concerning is that? I'm not concerned about it, um, uh, not really at all. 2021, if you're going back to, say, you know, t- 10.32 yards per attempt, that's stupid numbers. Yeah, They were blowing people away. Um, in 2021, they got off to a very fast start. It's not, you would think it's not sustainable. Okay. And I think one of the other things as well is particularly in this year, going forward on fourth down has become a thing too. So you're not as depending on your field position when you're outside your 40 or at certainly at midfield, you're not as, as reticent to go for it on fourth down when it's fourth and one, fourth and two Mm -hmm. with a quarterback like Josh. So that gives you that extra percentage of drives that will be sustained. If you don't convert the third down, you're going to convert the fourth down. That kind of thing goes into it as well. But you're right. 
the five possessions a game in a first half, I'm sorry, yeah. instead of the seven possessions, it's, it makes the game seem more precarious when you're just watching it as a casual fan because you don't get the ball that much. But your time of possession is, is pretty even. Your time of possession doesn't change much, but it seems as though the other team – and your defense has as much to do with this as anything, but it doesn't seem as your, your offense is like just – zinging the ball all over the field. It doesn't yeah. seem as explosive, and therefore you seem to have less confidence in it. But I think that's a, <laughs> I think that's a, a mirage. You should have as much confidence in your offense this year as you did last year when they were right. putting up stupid numbers. I, I think it, it's a concern for me because I think it puts more pressure on your defense to get more stops. Now the offense has to score at a higher rate per possession too. If you have... Five possessions, the most touchdowns you can score is five. If you have seven possessions, you could score up to seven touchdowns. And if you only score five out of seven, you're still in pretty good shape. If you only yeah. have five possessions and you only score three times, I think that's an issue. Here's so, the thing. The, those possessions look different because if you score and then give the ball back to your opponent, your defense still has to get a stop. But it feels better because you've, now you've got a, a score under your belt. Yeah, you, You're playing from the front or you're playing with some momentum. It feels differently, but it's not different. <laughs> it feels get, different to me. It feels different, but it's not different. Because? Because you're still, your defense still has to get those stops. Right. And, and look, <laughs> the Bills have the number one defense in football, so maybe they don't care. But I, I cannot get this out of my head because they've knocked the Bills out of the playoffs each of the last two years. In a game where your defense maybe has a stiff challenge, like Kansas City, for example, sure. you're going to need to score 35 instead of 24. Well, and for me, the high-efficiency model may not get it done. Think about this, though. The Chiefs have to score 35, or in your case, 36, with four fewer possessions. So you're saying the high-efficiency model also keeps the ball out of their hands. Yeah. They, I mean, that's that's, that's the, the one area I forgot to look at. Are the you know, so, possessions uh, for the and, opponents yeah, down, so too? It's, it's, it's just it's complimentary. And I'll say this, too. I think, and we're, we can talk about this in a subsequent podcast as well, the Bills' defensive front has changed the entire complexion of this team. Yes. Von Miller and those guys down inside Daquan Jones, and since Ed Oliver's been out, Jordan Phillips has been out, but those first two games when they Daquan were in. Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, yeah. They changed the complexion of this team, not only defensively, but offensively as well. Now, one last note to throw into this high-efficiency model. People might be saying, oh, well, they're doing that. They're throwing short because all these teams are playing cover two shell and not giving them anything deep. That is not the case. So I'm going to credit Warren Sharp for these statistics. In terms of the rate of too high safety coverage in the first half of games against Josh Allen, it is only happening 33% of the time thus far this season. That ranks 21st in the league. So it doesn't appear like they're playing any – as a matter of fact, it's less than they, play, than they saw last year. So he's facing less too high safety looks than the league average and definitely less than he faced last year – and yet still, the short passing like to see continues. What, I'll say this, though, too. There are also circumstances that the Bills are facing have faced in the yeah, first blitz. four games that they have not been up against, mainly injuries and the heat exhaustion in Miami. Yeah. I think that derailed their offensive numbers somewhat. 
Yeah, you had to rely on running backs a lot, yeah. which is and it's short not passes they do. personified. So I think some it's still a small sample size, a little bit because of the month. It's only been a month, and you had that game stuck in there where it just didn't go their way with the injuries, and the offensive line was a shambles mm-hmm. against Miami. Um, I'd like a larger sample size because I I think that really did put an aberration on it and, and kind of even squash the numbers what was trending. It squashed them even further to where we're looking at now. Um, be, you know, and I, Gabe Davis isn't 100%. Crowder was out of the game. Kumaro came out of the game in Miami, and he was down. You've got, you know, your fifth four, fifth and sixth wide receiver playing some more significant snaps. I not, We'll see. Not to mention the fact that you've made this point on our daily show, One Bills Live, that a burner to stretch the field really doesn't exist on this roster when you think about it. Someone that's just right. got pure stretch the field speed, they don't have that. Right. So we'll have to see where it goes. Another subject where the Bills appear to be right on the cutting edge is fourth down decisions. Buffalo is five for seven on fourth down conversions this year. And according to a recent table provided by Ben Walt, Ben Baldwin, who's better known on Twitter as Computer Cowboy, the Bills lead the league in fourth-down decision-making to improve their win probability. We know that Coach McDermott likes to stay on the cutting edge. How encouraging is that statistic? Very much so. I, I, you got to be encouraged by that. I think it shows a confidence not only in, in his players, but also in his offensive coordinator. They're tough. And I think that if, if I've noticed anything more so this year with Ken Dorsey than I did with Brian Dable. Now, Brian Dable used Josh Allen extremely well, and they did it. But I think Ken Dorsey has a – as good a feel as we've seen of quarter of a play caller in those spots mm-hmm. in the short yardage goal line spots. Now certainly they they've had a lot of instances and I think and I think they get something out of it, even though they're unsuccessful, when they just hand it off and pound it in. Zach Zach Moss pounding it into the middle of the line. Devin Singletary, same thing. Um that gives you something in other situations because the defense knows your willingness to do that. When they get into a fourth down they don't always do that. And that uh, I think Ken Dorsey understands how all that stuff plays into the mind of a defensive sk- scheme when teams are looking at the Bills. 5 of 7 on fourth down is huge. And I and I I just think that's something Ken Dorsey has got a handle on that I feel real good about and I think McDermott feels it too. Pointing to our earlier conversation, knowing the fewer possessions in the first half could potentially curtail their scoring a bit. It is encouraging to know that they maximize their win probability on fourth down situations. So knowing their analytics team is at the forefront of that part of the game means the Bills should be put in the most favorable of positions whenever possible. Good discussion there. We move along now to the numbers game where Steve will be quizzed on a bit of Bills Steelers series history. I need from Steve the top 10 touchdown makers in Bills history against the Steelers we're talking regular season meetings, Steve, and playoffs. For a frame of reference, I will tell you there have been 25 total meetings between these two teams, so judge your touchdown totals accordingly. Are you, are you ready right. here? Bills who've scored touchdowns against Top the Steelers. Top 10 touchdown scorers against now the does, Steelers. Now, as a quarterback, does it get for throwing those? And nope, no, we're not using quarterbacks here for passing touchdowns. We're only using the guys that are running that thing or catching that thing in the end zone. Don Beebe. Don Beebe is tied for first with four. Those are all in the same game, right? That was that Jim Kelly yeah. six touchdown pass game. Andre Reid. 
Andre Reed has three. He is tied for fourth. Thurman Thomas. No. No, not Thurman. Yeah, Thurman Thomas. I'm Thurman right. Thomas is correct. He had three. Tied with Andre. Kenny Davis. No on Kenny Davis. Jerry Butler. Jerry Butler had three. Correct. James Lofton. James Lofton had four. You're on a roll, Steve. Greg Bell. Greg Bell not on the list. Didn't make the cut. Only had one touchdown. Did I say Kenny Davis? You did, and that was not correct either. Andre, I said. James. You said Andre, yeah. Thurman, I said. Don Beebe. Let's go with, oh my gosh. Um, wide receiver in the 80s. I can't even think of the guy's name. Gosh, this is hard. I will tell you to dig a little into team history a little yeah, bit. Go a little I mean, further yeah, back. You're asking something I don't have. Um, you're asking for something dude, I don't have. Dude, I, yeah, I gotta <laughs> I gotta go I, I gotta go back and look at the history and see if I can find some. Well, guys. you know, the series history did not begin until the merger. Right. right, back in 70, so, what, 70, 68? When, when was it, 70? 70 was. Um, let's say... I will I will tell you. <laughs> OJ. OJ is correct. Four, tied for first. So James Lofton, OJ Simpson, Dom Beebe, all in the top spot with four. Right. There are still three other players who had three touchdowns against the Steelers, which would tie with Jerry Butler and Andre Reed and Thurman Thomas. And then there's... What was the guy... What was the wide receiver's name that played in the... Oh, gosh. There was a receiver that played with Ferguson. Yeah, I can't... It's white guy. Yep. And he's actually... And he's no longer with us. Passed. And it oh, was, you're on the right track, yeah. Steve. Can you can you run that name down in the back oh, of your brain? Oh man. Um, yeah, hold on. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the guy's name. <laughs> don't don't tell me. Do not tell me. <laughs> Let's see. This is what makes the numbers uh, game so special. His, what was his name? Ar- not Armstrong. Not one of the. I'm gonna say. Wait. I'm gonna get there and I'm gonna find the guy's name. His. Oh. How about I don't know what's the game? What's again? All right, we will. What was his name? Before we get to that, I am going to tell you there is another teammate of yours on this list, and he had Keith McKellar. It wasn't Keith McKellar. It was a, a player you would not expect to be on this list, and he scored. Two touchdowns. John Fina. In two different games. You're close. You're on the Mitch right Farad. track. There you go. Mitch Farad had two touchdowns against the Steelers in two different games. And now I will give you the most modern candidates. Willis McGahee had two. Oh, yeah. Gabe Davis has two. Oh, yeah. And then here are your players with three touchdowns scored against the Steelers that you did not get. Hold on. Wait. Um, try again. Chandler. Bob Chandler. There it is, Bob Steve. Chandler. You got it. These other That two, was driving me nuts. <laughs> I couldn't tell. Oh. <laughs> Bob Chandler. That's right. Rolling hooks. Not rolling hooks. Uh, the other two, one was a running back, Rob Riddick, 
Yeah. He had Robbie. three. And Ruben Gant. Oh, I would got me on with Ruben three Gant. touchdowns. Wow, that, that is, is your top ten wow. Bills touchdown scorers Bob against the Thank Steelers. You. That would have bothered. That was vindication. That was good vindication for you, Steve. Oh. You finally tracked it down back in the deeper regions of your cerebral cortex. Oof. Bob that was all the way back in. I I found saw his name not on the. It was just for the season scoring, and I finally got Bob Chandler. Some surprising there. history though there in the numbers game. Good job, Steve. Time Oof. for us to get caught Good up. Good job. On just, Thanks for that. <laughs> just what has transpired. I suck. In Pittsburgh, through the first month of the season, we know rookie first round pick Kenny Pickett has been thrust into the starting lineup. But there's a lot of other changes with the Steelers this season. Here to help us with those is Steelers.com insider Bob Labriola. Okay, Bob, so we have to begin with the obvious, the beginning of the Kenny Pickett era. Can you just lay out for us, though, first, how everything kind of transpired through the course of the preseason and training camp? Because the general consensus we're hearing out of Pittsburgh, and you can corroborate this for us or refute it, is that, Pickett never really had a legitimate chance to overtake Trubisky for the starting job. Like, he never got first-team reps and things like that. Can you just kind of spell out how the summer went? Well, I mean, uh, when when um, OTAs opened in May um, for, um, I guess, to, to have some sort of order, orderly order, for uh, lack of a better phrase, uh, Mike Tomlin went with, um, Mitch Trubisky first, based on his uh, resume, NFL resume, uh, and then Mason Rudolph was next because he had uh, the next most extensive NFL resume, and Kenny Pickett was third. So that so that as the uh, practices evolved or unfolded, that made for an orderly transition on and off the field, um, and so. It, it progressed that way, you know. Not much happens uh, OTAs and minicamp, and so when training camp opened, uh, it was the same order. Uh, now, uh, during practice, um, Mitch Trubisky really never did anything to lose the job. And my experience, uh, you know, with Mike Tomlin, with Bill Cowher, going back to Chuck Knoll, um, this, those kinds of moves—if you're going to change an order, or something like that. It has to do with two things. One is one guy has to be performing well or maybe better than expected, and another guy has to be messing up. It, it's a combination of things. Because if one guy is playing well and another guy behind him is playing well, usually they'll just stick with the order. So um, Kenny Pickett, in the estimation of the coaching staff, uh, was showing things uh, during practices daily at training camp and in the um, preseason games when he saw some action uh, to to justify a move up to number two. Now, while all this was happening, you know, Mitch Trubisky was not doing anything that was bad. I mean, he didn't have any bad practices. He didn't have any bad outings in preseason games. And so because of the fact, you know, that he had – uh, experience as a starter in the NFL. He had a winning record with the Bears. They took him. They went to the playoffs twice with him as a starter. Um, Trubisky had a win uh, in an NFL playoff game. 
um, you know, the season opened with him uh, number one. And I, you know, it, it made sense to me uh, based on a performance uh, perspective because since Trubisky was the guy who was opening um, the first two preseason games, Pickett started the third preseason game. So he did get snaps, you know, against, as Mike Tomlin refers to it, as uh, against the varsity. So I mean, he didn't do poorly. Um, but I just think that all of the things that go on, go into being a starting quarterback in the NFL, and a lot of that has to do with what we're doing right now, media, every day, uh, being the focal point of because locker rooms are open again, um, you know, and, and in Pittsburgh, that means the media is in there every day after practice, sometimes before practice, depending upon, you know, the, the day's schedule. So uh, I think that it made some sense that you go with the veterans and see how things unfold, um, especially with the kind of defense that the Steelers thought they had once the season opened, as the season opened, with everybody healthy. So, um you know that's that's kind of how it started. Now, um, what 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 did happen over the course of the regular season, and I don't know if this was a, um, a conscious thing uh, by Trubisky or whether this is what he was being told, uh, how important it was not to turn the ball over. Okay, so um, the Steelers go to Cincinnati for that first game. Uh, they have seven sacks. Uh, five takeaways, four interceptions, uh, don't turn the ball over, and win. So, okay, this is this is now the formula. But what happened was the offense was just not progressing. Um, it just wasn't. And, again, whether uh, it was a, uh, a hesitance on Trubisky's part to try and take shots down the field, uh, or whether that's what he was being told, I mean, you know, I don't know, and, and no one – you know, is, is coming clean with any of that stuff. So, uh, and as I said, the offense was stagnating. I mean, it, it, what was happening more and more, the Steelers were playing in a closet yeah. on offense. Bob, let me ask you this. I know now that the fans have, have clamored for this. It seems from here, there was, and I know Mike Tomlin is not one to cave to pressure from, particularly from fans. What are the expectations? I mean, how good is Kenny Pickett going to be given the current state of the Steelers' defense and their offense and where it is now? Can't, can't answer that. I mean, um, you know, I thought in, in his half against the Jets, and let's be honest, it was the Jets. Um, you know, Pickett, um, he, he supplied an energy. Uh, the, the team responded. The fans responded. Uh, and it was a home game. So, you know, I'm not saying that that has anything to do with um, the decision to start him in Buffalo, the fans, but I do think the way that the team responded to him was a factor, and also another factor was the way Pickett handled it. Uh, he did not indicate at any point in that game that it was too big for him. He did throw three interceptions, though, so you, you know you have that uh, from from rookie quarterbacks in this league. Uh, but what was particularly impressive to me was his post game uh, remarks with the media. Um, you know, a lot of people in that room, media-wise, were trying to make this into a feel-good thing. Oh, the, the guy who played his college football in the city, next door to the Steelers in the practice facility, got drafted by them number one. 
and got a chance to play, and the fans were excited. Isn't that great? Well, Pickett kept bringing it back to, yeah, but we lost the game. We lost the game. And he had a single uh, singleness of <clears throat> a viewpoint, uh, to me, to the only thing that matters. You either win or you lose. You know, there's no feel good. Uh, this is a regular season, you know, NFL kind of situation. The Steelers lost, now they're 1-3, facing a very difficult stretch in their schedule. So this is not the uh, time for, you know, boy, I really felt good. I'm sure my parents really enjoyed the game. I mean, that kind of narrative. And Pickett was not, go, was not going there, and he would not allow the media to take him there. So he showed me a, a maturity, um, a focus that, um, you know, you don't always find in rookies. And so I think that you know, this guy has – you know, a lot of the things that you're looking for in a quarterback, but you can't throw the ball late all the way across the field to the other sideline, you know, in a close game. I mean, those are going to get intercepted in the NFL, and that's what happened. Yeah. So there are things that he's going to have to learn. There are going to be growing pains. And I think that, you know, Steelers fans, you know, they booed him, or they didn't boo him at the end, but they were clamoring for Ben Roethlisberger to be gone. Okay. They don't realize what they had. People think people around here think that Kenny Pickett is going to come in and have the kind of rookie season that Ben had in 2004, and that's just delusional. Yeah, it is. So, Bob, you mentioned the defense, and I'm sure Mike Tomlin anticipated that it would be holding the team in games pretty effectively, or at least effectively enough, where the offense could kind of get their legs under them, whether it was Trubisky or Pickett and maybe hold opponents to under 20 points and try to win games that way. What has been, we, we realize T.J. Watt's out and on IR, and that's a big loss, I mean, the defensive player of the year. But if you could point to one area of the defense that has maybe underachieved the most, is there a specific line of defense there that you can point to? Not really. I mean, you know, everyone likes to point to the run defense, and that was certainly, um, you know, was a focal point of the offense off-season, um, but, you know, I just checked the latest NFL rankings, and, you know, the Steelers' run defense that had started the league last is now 24th. So that has been improving um, gradually. I get it, and I also understand that, you know, in this city, 24th in the league in run defense is nothing to hang your hat on. But, again, uh, it's better than it was last year. It's better than it was earlier in this season. And one of the things I think is the problem is that this team has not been able to play complementary football this season. And by that I mean when your offense is struggling so much to score points. I mean, you're in a three-point game, you know, late in the second half all the time. One mistake, one third down conversion by the opponent, and you can lose. Um, and, you know, when, when Ben was here, you know, I always referred to him as the eraser because you could make a bad play on defense and he could come back and, you know, hit a big play down the field and you, your offense would score and you erase the mistake that the defense made and now you're back to where you were. Um, but there hasn't been that uh, kind of complimentary play. And so I just think it's not realistic to expect the defense to play as it did in that opener in Cincinnati. Seven sacks, five takeaways, four interceptions. I mean, that's just not a sustainable model. And so, yes, the defense has been disappointing in the sense that teams, New England and 
and the Jets, particularly because they're the most recent two games, um, have won the game in the fourth quarter. Uh, but, you know, in both of those games, there was enough opportunities for the offense to score points and or possess the ball and did neither that you don't, you're not in that situation in the last four minutes of the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, you can focus on the negative and the defense didn't do this, um, but maybe it shouldn't have been in that position uh, based on the opportunities that the offense did not take advantage of earlier. Right. Bob, good stuff. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on with us today. Okay, you guys have, uh, you guys have a good one. Take care now. Time for your chance to win a million dollars with FanDuel's free Pick'em style game, high-low pick teams for four different stat categories that you think will score the highest or lowest for the week. The more you get right, the more you can win. Get them all correct, and you could take home a million dollars. Just go to FanDuel.com slash high-low to play, and that is H-I-L-O. Steve and I make these picks each week. Steve starts us off with high and low for points. I never thought I would see the day, but the high for points this week, the Detroit Lions. Yes, indeedy. They are playing the Patriots defense. The Patriots gave up 37 to the Ravens and 27 to the Packers last week, so the Lions are going to hang some points on Bill Belichick and his guys. That's... I can't believe I said that, but that's who I'm going with, Detroit Lions. The low, the low for points, the Houston Texans. They're playing the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Jags have got a front that won't quit. Davis Mills is going to struggle against their, the Josh Allen in Jacksonville, and uh, so that's who I'm going for low. High, Detroit Lions, the low, the Houston Texans. Lions lead the league in points per game. It's they amazing. They are killing it. High for passing yards. I'm going with the leader in passing yards this season, Justin Herbert. I know his ribs are still a little tender. But the Chargers can't run the ball at all. They're last in the league in rushing, so the burden falls on Herbert, who has to do it all with his arm. So against an underachieving Browns defense, I think the Chargers will be able to dial it up through the air. Low for passing yards, I'm going with Kenny Pickett. Yes, he'll probably be throwing at the end of the game because the Steelers will be behind, but I don't see this game going well for him in his first start on the road against Buffalo's top-ranked defense. All right, for high in rushing yards, I think this is going to be a breakout year for the Vikings running game. They haven't, they haven't put it all together this season, but they're playing the Bears. So I think Dalvin Cook and, the, and company are going to roll this week. Vikings against the Bears for high in rushing yards. And low for rushing yards, the L.A. Rams. They refuse to hand it off anyway. They're playing a Cowboys defense and a defensive line that is really cooking. So I think uh, the Rams will be disinterested in running it in the first place. Plus, even if they do, I think the Cowboys have got the front to stop them. Yeah, the Rams are all beat up on the offensive line, too. That never helps. High for sacks. I'm going with the Bills. Back in their stadium against a rookie QB in his first NFL start, I see them getting home in similar fashion to what we saw in Week 1 when they had seven sacks. Buffalo high for sacks for me. Low for sacks. I'm going with the Falcons. 23rd in the league in sacks per play and facing Tom Brady, who rarely takes sacks because he gets the ball out. I've got Atlanta for the sack low. Our closing figure for this edition deals with just how much the passing game for the Bills, Steve, has been leaning on Stephon Diggs. Through the first four games, he's got 406 receiving yards, good for second most in the NFL. So he obviously leads the Bills with 406 receiving yards. Steve, the next three receiving leaders on the Bills, Devin Singletary, Isaiah McKenzie, and Dawson Knox, combined receiving yardage, 405 yards. One yard less than Stephon Diggs all by himself. How about that? Yeah, I think that's a function of the injuries and the offensive line, the way that the Miami game went. Um, I don't think it will be that 
skewed going forward. Let's hope so. But I'll say this. They've needed every bit of what Diggs has given them. He has been a warrior and the guy. And I said it in the Baltimore game in particular, the great players for Buffalo showed up and won that game. Yeah, Diggs is definitely on that list. Josh has been great about spreading the ball around. He just hasn't gotten a second or third guy to really take off yet, and hopefully that well, – Gabe receiving... Davis isn't 100%. Yes, he's not. And hopefully that receiving core can get healthy because they've been beat up pretty much since week two. Hopefully they get healthier sooner rather than later. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use to Bills by the Numbers so you know when the next episode is out. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week, everybody. (laughs) 